Hello and welcome back to Winging It, how to build, maintain and totally own a career that you love. Every week I'm sitting down with an expert to help business owners and career women learn something new that will help them achieve success and balance in a career path that makes them happy. This week I'm sitting down with a woman who has one of the most insane careers you will ever have heard of. Yes, this week I am I'm speaking to someone who has not started their own business because let's face it, it's not for everyone. And I totally respect that having a career is the right path for many people. And it can be completely fulfilling and rewarding, especially in a day and age where working for a company is becoming more and more flexible. This week, I'm catching up with Zoe Willis, who is the Executive Vice President of Marketing for Equus Technologies. Before joining the rapidly growing Swiss tech firm, Zoe was the commercial director at Hearst Magazines. To give you a little background on Equus Technologies itself, Equus was founded by a group of mobile and encryption entrepreneurs and pioneers with a shared history working with some of the world's largest enterprises and telecommunication operators. Equus shares a vision of bringing to market a cohesive, purpose-built, end-to-end secure enterprise communications platform with proven encryption technologies. That was a mouthful. You'll have to excuse the hustle and bustle in the audio because we were in a very trendy meeting room at an office in Oxford Street. If you're listening to this on your phone, make sure you get the best experience by downloading the Entel app. Entel is an interactive podcast platform that combines the best of audio storytelling with the richness of the web. So this means you'll be able to follow links, view images, follow people on social and much more by just tapping your phone. The music for this podcast is epic, I know. It's been provided by The Edit Album, a curation of copyright-free music for creatives. Our listeners get 25% off with the code SASSY25 and I'll leave the link in the description box or if you're listening on Entel, you'll be able to click the link now. So I'm sat with the lovely Zoe from Aquis. Hello. Hi. So do you want to start by giving us a little bit of a background and who you are and what you do? Yeah, so I work at Equus Technologies, which is a recently set up um, Swiss technology company. Um, Yeah, it's been going for about 18 months, two years. Um, It was founded by a friend of mine, Derek Roger, who used to uh, be quite heavily involved with BlackBerry back in the day when it was uh, first created. And um, he... Yeah, he set up Equus Technologies to get into the telco space with some B2B messaging apps. And then recently we launched um, a B2C consumer app, messaging app called Flame. Um, So, yeah, before this, before I joined the world of tech, I was at um, Hearst Magazines uh, at Harper's Bazaar. So I was commercial director there uh, for just over a year. And before that, I was at Condé Nast, um, where I ran the uh, creative digital studio for them for about seven years so we were responsible for creating anything that was advertising related anything that was video events that kind of stuff for all of the brands so Vogue, GQ, Wired, um, Glamour um, yeah so we did that for for about seven years. Um, this is like one of my favorite stories that I think I heard <laughs> it was just like I was like just tell me everything from start to beginning because you didn't you kind of just went straight out of school and yeah so I I was um, at 18 so I, I did I actually did a journalism course weirdly um, when I was about 18 
I didn't go to university um, because I wanted to be a TV presenter. That was my goal when I was about 18. Can we talk about this? Because yeah, I wanted I think, to be a TV presenter. Yeah. And I think then when <laughs> well, the here we are. <laughs> yeah, I know. Look at us. We did it. We made it. Um, I think the reality of actually being a TV presenter was um, quite different to what I imagined it would be when I actually got into ITV. But nevertheless, I went, I did a, a journalism course um, when I was about 18 and um, and media studies. And from there, I my, I think it was my aunt's friend worked at ITV and then I had another interview at Ogilvy and Mather when I was 18. And I was like, I got both of the jobs and I thought, which is the direction I want to go in? TV presenting, I'll go and work at ITV. Um, so I did that 18 to 23. And by the time I was 23, I was running the whole sponsorship department, um, which was quite the challenge. It was fantastic. I mean, I think everybody... Whoever who wants to work in media should go and work at ITV because their training program is second to none. It's it's absolutely incredible. Um, yeah, so I did that. I mean, that's a really incredible story because a lot of people do struggle with whether to go to uni or not, and then what they kind of want to do. And actually, by the time you were twenty three, which was when most people come out, when did you come out of uni when you were twenty one. Yeah, uh, no, but well, around twenty one, twenty two. Yeah, twenty one. Because I remember what well, the day I started, aged eighteen, at, oh, nearly nineteen at ITV. Um, I, I joined with a girl who was five, four or five years older than me and she'd just left uni and we both started on the same day on the same salary with the same title so it made no difference that she went to university and I was four years ahead of her you know, in many, in many respects so um, yeah I, 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 I was one of the very few people that, went, that didn't go to university in, in my age group in my, in my school year um, and it was kind of it was a bit like, why aren't you going to university? I didn't even go to um, stay on to the sixth form at my school, which was like the done thing because it was quite a nice yeah. school and everyone had to do that. So it was kind of looked down upon. But um, no, it worked out pretty well. But yeah, the the whole training program at um, at ITV was just fantastic. I mean, they they treat they train you about how to how to apply maths into your daily life, which you know wasn't really a thing at school. Explained? No, it wasn't explained very well at school at all. It was. Um, I always really struggled with that and it was never put into a sort of realistic context. Um, so they were great with that. You get to learn about clients and how to deal with people on all different levels. Um, no, it was it was really fantastic. But it was that training that made me decide not to go into TV presenting. It was actually, right, I want to go into the business side and the production and the creative yeah. aspects. Um, but that didn't stop me then leaving there after five years and going to run a bar in Formentera. <laughs> I mean, they're a worse place to run a bar. <laughs> I know, <laughs> but I probably didn't need to do it for quite as long as I did. Um, but no, that was great. That was a great uh, experience. Uh, seven days a week working in a, a German bar to start with, weirdly, and then a, and then a Spanish one. So I learned Spanish. I uh, and how long did you do that for? Th- uh, three years. Yeah, three years. Well, but, three but had seasons. <laughs> I had the most awesome tan. I'm actually unrecognisable in my photos. Like white hair and sort of mahogany skin. You well, know. you know, we all went through no, that stage. <laughs> yeah, it was not, it's not the one. Um, but uh, no, that was fantastic. And then from there I went to um, the BBC. I actually, the last year I was in Formentera, I really wanted to own my own bar. So I went and looked at a place in Ibiza wrote a business plan for it was about to push the button and then something didn't quite add up with their books and it all just felt a bit dodgy 
And at that same time, I got offered, completely out of the blue, um, the chance to go and speak to the BBC um, to work in their creative solutions um, department for BBC Worldwide. Because at that time, I, I'd done five years at ITV in the sort of creative sales world, which you know was quite a, a niche area at that time, to ad-funded programming, that kind of stuff. So there weren't very many people around with my skill set at that point. Yeah. So I was fortunate enough to be approached by them. And it was pretty fortuitous because I was like, the whole bar thing <laughs> looks a bit dodgy now. So uh, yeah, I went back to um, back to the UK and, and worked for the BBC. Um, so from the BBC, what did I do then? Uh, so BBC, I went to Disney. That was right. Um, so I was approached at um, whilst I was still at because I've always had this sort of creative sales um, slant to my career, which I got into quite early at ITV because. ITV were the, were the first people to do ad-funded programming and that kind of stuff. And I, it was my yeah. team that actually pioneered that. So that really sort of set me in good stead for moving into other sorts of areas as my career developed. And I was approached by Disney, um, which I think they were called Disney Online then. They're not called that anymore. But it was basically the digital arm of Disney um, to go and uh, kind of run, I suppose they were calling it business development, but it was just basically trying to future-proof their brands and um, grow more revenue streams through creative sales that, and partnerships and that kind of stuff. But it was all digital and I'd only been in TV to this point. Oh, okay. Um, so I was like, yeah, that sounds like a great challenge. So I, I took the job thinking, digital, like what is the internet? Because <laughs> this was quite a long time ago. Um, anyway, I joined there and the, the first day I walked in, uh, the VP of sales, who was my boss, said to me, um, oh, yeah, uh, welcome. <laughs> uh, by the way, I've resigned and I leave on Friday. Oh. So he'd actually hired me knowing that he was, he'd left or he'd, he'd resigned. Um, and he said, I, I leave on Friday and you need to interview a trafficker. And uh, A trafficker now. I was like, trafficker? It's like a drug trafficker. Like, what, <laughs> what kind of that? trafficker? <laughs> um, and I was like, okay, fine. So basically my learning curve was less of a curve and more of a shoot up into the sky and I had to interview and hire an ad trafficker that day and the, by the Friday my boss had left so the by I think two weeks later they promoted me to head of sales for whole of Europe and I didn't even know how to sell digital ads so I had to learn pretty quick but that was good that I was mean great... talk about jumping in <laughs> I know. um but it was great it was it was probably the best way for me to learn actually I was completely yeah, out of my, my comfort zone then um, anyway, we did a couple. I did a couple of years there. Um, I built the team to. Uh, I had about three or four salespeople. I hired sales reps all over Europe. We had um, Sky selling for us um, in the UK, and then yeah, various other sales reps. Um, but I'd always been really interested in fashion, um, and the sales agent or the sales network, Add to One, that, that repped us in the UK, um, put put me forward for a job at Netaporte. Because ah. um, they were like, well, now you know about all the digital stuff, and you like fashion. Why don't we, you know, why don't we set up this meeting? So Natalie Massonet, who you're probably aware of, who was the founder of Netaporte, um, asked to see me and had an interview with her. Got on fantastically with her. Um, it was like my dream wow. job. I know it was amazing, and they were just operating out of what, uh, Whiteleys and Bayswater at that time. So it's quite. I mean, it was fairly well established. It was eight years old, but they had no advertising. They had no sort of um, additional revenue stream other than the sort of um, e-commerce side of things. So um, I got the job. I used to sit next to her and like, oh no gosh. pressure, <laughs> and um, yeah, have to come up with ways of monetizing the site but unfortunately I mean on paper that was me cooked I was that was the rest of my life I was going to be at Nesporte but I was probably hired 
in a true entrepreneurial way by Natalie, a little bit ahead of t- ahead of schedule, uh, because they weren't really ready to be as commercial as um, I had hoped they would be. So uh, I was only there for about a year, which was such a shame. Um, but you will have got a really good discount for a year. I got fifty five percent off <laughs> for a full year, and um, I still have the clothes to prove it. <laughs> Sometimes um, I like damn my own career path. I'm like, why am I not working at like Harrods or? <laughs> Although I don't know. Yeah, you probably wouldn't get the same level of discount. It's really the the e-commerce players that you want to be involved with, matches or or yeah. Nesporto is where you want to be. I mean, I'll just earn the money and buy it full price. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's the way it has to be for me now as well because I'm no longer associated <laughs> with anything fashion. Um, but yeah, so from Nesporto, I went to where did I go oh I did a little stint at um e-entertainment funnily enough oh my gosh um, you are like a woman of so many I know well I, I I definitely put all of this down to the incredible grounding that I had at ITV because we were never yeah I say ITV it's called ITV now it wasn't called that then it was called Granada Media then it's such a long time ago um but they instilled such a good um all-round sort of commercial nous in you that 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 you're, you were never. We were never allowed to sell this pen or to, to sell this one thing. You all, you had to be. You had to have a broad brush approach to everything, and you had to see the full picture. And they trained you to a point where you you could see any angle. You could deal with anyone. Um, your everything is a creative sell. There's a commercial angle in everything, even if it's a consultative sell. Um, so it's that stood me in good stead to be able to kind of turn my hands to anything, really. Yeah. Um, and obviously, starting in TV at the height of TV's you know success, it was such a great time to be in telly. You know, the early sort of late nineties, early noughties, it was like riding high. It was the it was the they were they were the glory days. So, you know, from there anywhere I took that experience has been really really useful. Um, but yeah, entertainment that that was straight into picked up all the old TV stuff. Um, straight away and kind of managed the European sales for that and then all of their websites as well so it was kind of marrying up the two amazing yeah um and then Condé Nast which I've already mentioned um uh and then Hearst and now Tech woo (laughs) yeah I have to say you're not the typical I think when people think of women in tech they kind of think I don't know my immediate picture was surrounded by computers and I don't know maybe in a lab coat (laughs) Okay, that's weird. I don't know why I love coat. I just kind of like... Yeah, I mean, I think, isn't that... That's probably part of uh, the misconceptions of tech and pro- probably why a lot of women aren't getting into tech or, or haven't to this point. Um, because there is a strange conception. Maybe it's like... Maybe the IT crowd has something to do with that. You know, that sort of windowless basement yeah. of um, nerds with stringy arms playing Guitar Hero and with headphones on all day. <laughs> a little bit like you right now. <laughs> Take the piss out of my head, thank you. Um, yeah, I don't think I fit necessarily into a mould. I'm very much bringing fashion to the tech world, I think. I love that. <laughs> I'm going to quote you on that. <laughs> yeah, you can. I mean, last week when we were in um, Barcelona for MWC, I mean, women were, were notable by their absence. You know, there was... It, it was do you pretty... find that... And do you find that challenging? Mm. Or do you feel like you... I mean, is there any struggles in that? Do you notice any kind of... I again, I keep harping on about um, ITV, but when I worked at ITV, I mean, l- listen, every every industry is pretty much male dominated, right? I suppose the fact that tech is such a new industry, it, uh, and you know where we are in where you know in, in general, 
there should be more it makes sense for women to be involved in it more but every single industry I've ever worked in with the exception of working in Vogue <laughs> you know at, in the Vogue offices has been a male dominated environment and actually Condé Nast is uh, sometimes feels like it's it's driven by men even though the majority of people employed there are, are women yeah um, ITV was the best place I've ever worked in terms of you know for learning and fun and you know they were like my formative years but it was a boys club and we used to kind of behave like men um you know there was there was a lot of that and we didn't know we were doing anything wrong or right or whatever it was just kind of the way yeah. that we did so I kind of got used to that um I don't necessarily in in MWC it was majority men there was like I feel like it was 95% men there um and then, so there are, there are, I'm walking through the halls, you either get sort of looked at, and also, as you've just pointed out, I don't look like a working tech, whatever that is, but I do look like I... She's very glamorous. <laughs> thanks. I do look like I, I, I might work like in fashion. Cool. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I'm going to come here more often. <laughs> Please do. Um, yeah, I... Uh, I noticed a lot of people. I went with my the, my marketing manager Fran, and she is a woman as well. And we were walking around the halls, and people were like, they either look through you, or sort of ogle. It's so it's really strange. But, uh, do you know what though? There's actually something quite awesome in that. In the fact that you're there, you're like, yeah, <laughs> and what, and what, my woman, yeah. deal with it. <laughs> but in terms of actually going to meetings or. Um, you know, actually having conversations with people or anything like that. I didn't. I don't really notice it, and I don't know if that. I, I don't know if I'm just used used to sort of being challenged in that way, or if it's not there. I, I'm, I'm not really sure, but I don't feel necessarily uncomfortable with yeah. being. I think something. Well, there's a difference between being aware of that, those sorts of things and then just getting on with it. Um, yeah, and I think because you've obviously been hugely successful in your career, you've very much just sounds like it that you've just got on with everything and kind of to yeah. to succeed and to and to to grow personally yeah I think I think that's fair to say um listen I mean it, that's not to say there haven't been times in my career when I've just been really fucked off <laughs> with having to work twice as hard yeah uh, and sometimes it's um more apparent than other times and uh, and then sometimes I suppose every woman will feel this you get that sort of weird paranoia or self-doubt of like am I overreacting to this is it is it because I'm a woman or is it just because I'm a bit shit at doing that or you know it's quite difficult yeah it's it it is quite difficult to to navigate that properly all the time but do you know what when I have thoughts like that I always think it's best just to speak to I always just text people or like I don't know call someone go am I overreacting about this or like what can you tell me yeah ask for people's opinion and then it's yeah no I yeah I I do try to do that. I mean, I'm, I'm quite a log. I'm, I'm my father's daughter. We're quite um, logical and pragmatic and fair, and we try to see both sides. So I try not to instantly assume that I'm being treated a certain way because of being a woman or the way I look or the way I sound or whatever it might be. I try to look at it as, was I genuinely wrong <laughs> then, or is there another way I could do this? Yeah. Um, but I have definitely faced challenges because um you know or or certainly been I'm very acutely aware of being talked over by men for example oh, that happens I, a lot <laughs> I'm aware of that as well because that <laughs> does become, annoy me <laughs> oh, you know and that and the sort of 
sometimes when you get mansplained something to do with marketing by somebody that doesn't work in marketing <laughs> or in, do you know what I mean there's there's those sorts of things ranging right back to when I was very young and being quite successful very young you know 18 to 23 I had a I was controlling 25 million pounds worth of revenue at 22 I had eight people working for me and I used to get guys saying to me who did you sleep with to to get that job oh um I don't I used to just think what the <laughs> what <laughs> but I used to I used to just take that it's really yeah. weird I never really fought back I mean I can't imagine how I would react if I mean that's only that that's me. only an insult in their intelligence to think that kind of thing well, quite and it does show yeah I mean it shows that sort of bitter it, it was only men that used to say that to me no women ever said that to me obviously <laughs> um yeah, and that that used to be quite challenging. So you were expect I was expected to be one of the lads, retain some femininity, um, do well but not too well, because that's a bit threatening. Um, yeah, and then yeah, and just put up with anything that was chucked my way, which is quite fun. But it's it's not a complaint or it's not um, I'm not scarred by anything, you know. <laughs> it's just. Uh, something that I'm weirdly more aware of now when I look back rather than at the time yeah but I think nowadays it's more people talk about the kind of thing more yeah um and just kind of be aware of it yeah I mean I'm not even when did I work in an office three years ago no 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 five years ago five years ago and even then that doesn't even seem like that long ago to me no and even then I think back on some of the stuff and I'm like why did I put up with that but yeah. It's just the way it is. It is the way it is, and we, we, we can't undo it. But I, I just, I've never been, I want to be, I want to work in a, in a place and be surrounded by people in general life that are um, open-minded, yes. decent, inclusive people. Yeah. And I think diversity and um, inclusion are far more important now <laughs> than trying to make a point about well, you did this to me and it was really unfair and we've got to try and somehow right that wrong. It's done. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's let's move it forward a bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's quite interesting. It's an old way of thinking and this is a really <laughs> odd thing to say, but the old way of thinking will actually retire. Yeah. When it retires. Yeah. Yeah, and you get some people, like my mum sometimes says, well, you're never going to change this old mindset it's just never going to change in, in your lifetime and I just think well, I think it will yeah I think, I think it will it, I think it is the, there is one thing I have noticed with um, particularly in the last couple of years in the companies that I've worked in without mentioning a specific company is you know with, with the Me Too movement and just general heightened awareness of um, what's acceptable and what isn't acceptable um, there have I have encountered some um, very perhaps um, set in their ways older men who aren't, I'm not saying are sexist or in any way prejudiced yeah. or anything but they are absolutely terrified of putting a foot wrong to the point where they won't even be in a room with you as a woman on your own for fear of you somehow <laughs> accusing them of trying to get off of them or something or yeah. and that that's really sad that is sad and that's a shame too but I it's... also feel sad for those guys <laughs> who yeah who are just lost they're a bit lost like what I don't even know what this means I didn't I didn't think there was anything wrong with the way I behaved before and now you're telling me there is like well, it's totally rocked yeah. their world and that's that's challenging I think that is challenging um yeah it's a difficult one isn't it I think 
there's two sides to every kind of <laughs> story but um yeah so anyway I want to talk a bit more about tech yeah so I have when I was doing a bit of research because I don't know much about women in tech but okay <laughs> you know, I'm gonna get in there and I've I've learned a few things and and quite frankly they are quite shocking so I took some facts from the website womenintech.co.uk, who I have no affiliation with, but I just looked it up online. (laughs) Disclaimer. Yeah, disclaimer. (laughs) The number of working women in technology is significantly lower than most other UK work sectors. Mm. 17% Mm. of those working in technology in the UK are female, and only 7% of students taking computer science at A-level are female. Mm. The other one is just half of the girls that study IT and tech subjects at school go into a job in the same field. So if that's 7%, that's only 3.5% that actually go into mm. a job in the same field. So why do you think Why do you think that is? I'm, I mean, listen... Sorry, I'm, that was like a mega <laughs> sentence. Meh. <laughs> I... Well, I, I'm literally seven months into being in tech. And also, <laughs> let's remember, I'm I'm kind of in this... I, to all intents and purposes, I'm still in media because I'm, you know, I'm in London. I'm working in this fabulous ex-BBC office. Yeah. And I'm surrounded by a lot of the people that I used to work with at Conde Nast. I mean, GQ, my old GQ pals have got an office just there. Oh. So I see them all the time. That's awesome. Um, so my my exposure to daily tech life is not the same as someone that's yeah. working at Google or um, yeah, Facebook. Sure. Or, although, again, they're probably not the best examples of this, but... I I think this is what we were saying before about when you said you don't look like somebody that necessarily works in tech and I wonder if that is we're, we've still got a little way to go in terms of defining what tech is because when I was at school tech was if you were interested in tech well I think it was called business studies wasn't it or something like that it was like computer skills computer or science yeah it wasn't really as broad as it is now because you can work in tech and work at Farfetch or ASOS or um, Facebook or TikTok or whatever. Yeah. They the company is tech, but you know the job, the specific role within there could be you could be a fashion buyer for Farfetch, but you know, or you could do uh, partnerships at TikTok or something like that. And I think the the term tech is so broad now; it needs to be explained a bit bit more. And I think in the fullness of time, yeah. that will become more apparent. I think if you were to, like when I was at school, the computer science or business studies, was it called business studies? It was something, I'm sure it was business studies, that was a GCSE. It was predominantly around computers and programming and things like that. And for sure, we need we, there definitely needs to be more women in the in that development world. Yeah. But that's development. And I think sometimes people think that tech is development and that, you know, again, the IT crowd, yeah. windowless room in a basement somewhere with you know, guys with headphones on and playing Guitar Hero in their lunch break and not really speaking. You know, that's like an old school sort of develop, developer side of things. Yeah. And I think maybe it's an education thing. Maybe everyone is needs to be a bit more educated on all of the roles that are available in the tech world. Yeah. Um, and that might help people to explore the tech world a bit more. Um, I mean, again, at MWC last week... Fran and I were one of the few women walking around as women in tech, you know, actually having a job at a tech company that involves knowing stuff about tech or at least learning stuff about tech. Um, The other women that were there were on the stands, and which is quite an old school. (laughs) You know, these were attractive women by um, a Tesla 
or buy you know some automated car other other automated cars are available (laughs) um or you know uh, bringing in crowds of people to a particular to the huawei stand or whatever it might be you know that's that's uh i've kind of digressed but i i I just think it is more of an education thing and i think i suppose when i started my career i don't you are asked to choose your subject your subjects at school very early Mm. and actually for me in my head I kind of thought I just thought about what my dad did and then I thought about what my mum did I was like well I don't want to be an accountant and I don't want to be a property surveyor Mm. so what subjects am I good at Mm. so I just did the subjects I was good at and then (laughs) I had to do drama which I wasn't good at and uh, I wanted to do drama and I was urged not to. Well, I I moved schools for sixth form, and then I didn't go into school um, <laughs> for a few months. Um, what were you doing? <laughs> I just moved schools and didn't have any friends there, and then I felt sad. And Aww. so I just stayed at home. I was like, Mom, I don't want to go to school today. Aww. So then I was like, right, I need to sort my life out. So then I said to Mom, I need to move schools. Uh, so then I moved schools, and the only way I could move schools was by doing drama alone yeah. um which was great you know lots of monologues is this, is this in your room <laughs> in the no, mirror no no it was just me and my me and my teacher mr kimber Aww. and we just used to sit in the office and then i don't know talk about drama and stuff Aww. um so it was fine but uh then after that i thought i'll go and do media because that seems like a very broad thing to do and then i can narrow it down yeah um but i guess if if people had it explained and also I think media seems very glamorous to well it seemed glamorous it seemed glamorous to me at that age I was thinking you know I'd love to go and work somewhere fashion I'd love to go and work somewhere to do with social media because that's up and coming really glamorous and then I think a lot of young girls kind of base what they want to do on what they've seen on Instagram which is a bit sad because I think a lot of young girls want to kind of become influencers and all of that kind of stuff which is fine but I think literally everyone under under the age of 30 wants to be in some way an influencer or just famous just that blanket term famous yeah (laughs) um yeah but then it's yeah as you say it's an education thing because I think if if it was explained to me better at school and I actually wanted to listen then I might have Mm. considered other alternative career paths so when you were a kid, then you were like, oh, I need to do something that is academic or I need to do something that is a pr- real job, <laughs> proper. No, you I just, given... no, my, my parents were quite good. I just, they just said, do whatever you're good at. So mm. I was like, great, I'll just do media studies. Yeah. Because I found that interesting. Yeah. It's better to do something you're interested in. You don't want to spend the, your whole life doing something like being an accountant and thinking, oh, I really wish I'd done something else. Well, it's funny, actually, one of my friends is um, a lawyer. And obviously it takes years to qualify as a lawyer and she is qualified and she um, got her, is into corporate law. And she's sort of, you know, in her mid-30s now and she's got her job, the job that she trained her whole life to do. And now she's like, I don't really want to be a lawyer. <laughs> it's like you're pigeonholed into that career to, to many respects, you know. I have the opinion that you're actually never too old to change careers, but you know. No, sure. But I, no, I, I, I definitely subscribe to that. But I feel like... If you've spent seven years at law school or four years, however long it was, but that is a de- desirable skill, isn't it? Dedication yeah. and you can go and work. To be as well, a lawyer. If yes. I wasn't going to be a TV presenter, which I also wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, do you think a lot of people talk about gender pay gap? 
I'm not yes. like a raging feminist, by the way. I just like there's really interesting <laughs> questions that I came across online um, huh. when I was looking into women in tech. It says 78% of large organizations admitted to having a gender pay gap in tech, which, I mean, they've admitted it, so that's great, isn't it? But do you think that has anything to do with the reason why more women aren't in tech because they think it's male-dominated, or do you just think that's... No, I think no. I would imagine that that statistic doesn't really vary greatly that greatly in any other sector. Um, That's true. I should have checked that. <laughs> yes, you didn't do your research. Um, no, I would imagine that. Um, I don't. I don't think that that would be. I personally don't think that that would be a reason for women not to get into tech. I think it might be what we talked about before that perception yeah. of weird geeks in a basement perhaps and not actually being aware of all of the different types of jobs that you can have in tech that might lend themselves better to your skill set as a woman or as a just yeah. a human really yeah um i mean in my career i've been aware because i've been told <laughs> that there is a gender pay gap i ha- i don't know for sure whether i am paid less or more or whatever the same That's as true. You anyone else well you wouldn't really it's not something you ask your colleagues because no. it's just and I don't know you know if, the, if these are statistics and if, the, if companies have admitted to this then it's a, then it is actually a thing but I've never been actually yeah. made aware of yeah. whether that is the case the other thing is that in my career because I started um you know I said it again and I went into did you work at ITV? I did did I mention that no you didn't <laughs> <laughs> because I've always done jobs that are quite um uh well separate they're they're quite niche and um they they were the the first i've lost my words today (laughs) you know they were the first sort of roles of their kind like this ad funded programming and sponsorship and creative solutions they were i was the first person really or one of the first people to do those jobs so i've always had a different job to many other jobs in media for example yeah so I, even if I knew how much I was paid compared to someone else, there isn't, there was never a way of comparing that. Yeah. Because it was a different. It's like apples and pears. It was a very different skill set and um, area within a company. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I don't know if that would be something that would necessarily put put women off. What tips do you have for anyone that wants to get into tech or wants to find out a little bit more about getting into tech? Um, I would say don't be scared by the windowless basement and geeky men with playing guitar. We're not actually in a windowless room today, although I have closed curtains. But you are wearing headphones. (laughs) And I am wearing headphones. (laughs) Um, I would say um, don't be be, um, sort of closed-minded or blinkered in your view of what tech is. There there is an element of tech in everything now. Um, I mean, just having spent the last week in Barcelona listening to people talking about AI and AR and um, you know how how tech influences all of us in our daily lives and in our working lives whether you work for a tech company or not um, don't yeah don't be blinkered in terms of what you think a tech a job in tech is don't be put off by the fact that or not by the fact but don't be put off by the presumption that it's just a bunch of boring suited <laughs> old men who are gonna <laughs> somehow discriminate you because that isn't the case either. <laughs> not in my experience anyway um and um you know there's there's so many opportunities to shape a role for yourself in tech you know there are yeah. there are ways that you can make it work for you and make it play to your strengths i mean i on paper i have no tech experience really in the you know for the job that i'm 
that people might presume that I have to do all the, all the things that I have to do every day. I come from media and I come from fashion, um, but I work in a tech company now. So if I can do it, anyone can do it. But there is, you know, there are lots of opportunities and ways of um, shaping something for, to, you know, to make it work for you. And in my last jobs, like at Condé Nast and at Hearst, well, particularly at Hearst, actually, because at, at Condé I had... Um, I ran the, um, it was called the Condé Nast Digital Studio. So it was, I had salespeople, had developers, designers, project managers, all in one team, like 12, 11 or 12 of us. Yeah. And um, because it was, I was working in a publishing house, as in old school publishing, print, magazines, paper things that you turn the pages of, you know. Yes, I've heard of those. Yeah. <laughs> they existed at one point. Um, and I was running the sort of digital side of the business. Yeah. Um, I was seen as the techie person, <laughs> just based on that, on that, on the strength of that alone, that I worked on the interweb. That was I was therefore techie. When I was hired at, at Hearst uh, to kind of future-proof their um, revenue streams and, and basically bolster up their revenue streams because they can't just rely on print anymore. So it was li- looking at different different ways of making money, predominantly through digital. That I was like. This, we've hired this Zoe Willis. She's like the tech guru for everything, and blah, and she's going to fix all of our things. And I'd be like, oh god, yeah, I really do know loads about tech. And then I actually went to work in tech, and I was like, I know nothing, <laughs> you know, in terms. I of... I suppose it's a different sort of tech, though, isn't it? Exactly, but I don't know nothing. It was that. It was that assumption that I, you know I've moved from from this other world of media and fashion, whatever, into a company that is predominantly a technology industry a company. They make their money from technology. They don't make their money from magazines and that sometimes go on the internet. That's their, that's their bread and butter. So I was like, oh my God, I don't know anything. But actually I do. And there are transferable skills. In, yeah, well, definitely. Hugely transferable skills. Um, so yeah, that's quite a long-winded way of saying don't marginalise yourself because you because tech seems really scary there are lots also of... you don't there's a lot of jobs that you need qualifications for but there's a lot of jobs that actually you can learn on the job and as long as you know the kind of and you're willing to learn you know the the sort of basics you're willing to listen to people and kind of get involved and really yeah. just soak up as much information as you can there's no reason why you can't get into it yeah absolutely um i mean i would say working i'm i work in a startup um and there is a certain amount of learning on the job in so far as learning additional additional elements or yeah. additional skills on the job um and i am learning to be far more agile than i've ever been that's something that you know that having worked for the man for a big corporation for for such a long time or various corporations institutions really um i don't have that luxury anymore so that's something that i've learned but Working in a startup for somebody of a junior level, for example, there's going to be less learning on the job because you have to have something in it at the beginning to kind of give yeah. you. And that can be challenging for a lot of people, not necessarily women, but just people in general. It's, um, you know, it, it's everything is dumped on you and you've just got to kind of swim through yeah. all of the crap <laughs> to, to kind of make your way. But yeah, there is there is an element of, of learning on the job. But I think it's good to be agile. It's the type of thing where, I mean, especially in marketing... I'm like, sometimes I go, well, the type of companies that I work with, they're like, right, we've decided we need to do social media. I'm like... Oh, they'll just drop that out there as well. Like, it, social media. And... Could you do some SEO? We, what? Yeah. What is this? What is that? 
Is that to do with can social you, media? Can you do an SEO? I mean, I guess there's, I haven't done enough research into it, but I guess there's lots of kind of free online resources and and courses and, and things in the local community you can get involved with. Certainly in my local office, I was saying to you earlier that they always do events for, you know, children and women and young yeah. women to kind of help them learn how to, to do techie sort of stuff, which is awesome. And, and the lady who kind of does that in the office is... Uh, she actually used to be a school teacher. I'm not sure what kind of teacher, but it wasn't IT. So she got into tech very late on yeah. in her career. And now she's sharing that with yeah. the next generation, which I think is really awesome. Yeah. And I would like to... Well, in, in fact, we are trying to start some uh, a programme <laughs> once we've actually done some of the business side of the things that we're, we're uh, that are on our agenda at the moment. But we definitely want to lead the way in that... S- there's two ways one in the sort of apprenticeship kind of field which yeah. is something that I really believe in having not gone to university and been sort of yeah definitely taken under the wing of an amazing CEO at ITV um, but also um, sort of being accessible for women and being out there and like a, a way of supporting and creating communities for um, women just in work at work it doesn't even necessarily have to be in tech um, just uh a kind of a support network and again at MWC last week there was a, um, a whole sort of strand of events called Four Years From Now and a lot of those events um, and talks were around women in tech and diversity and I've never seen on a conference I mean I've not been to a tech conference before I've been to I used to go to Cannes and you know other sorts of um, you know industry events but I've never seen anything on a programme so heavily focused towards women so it is you know there are lots of ways of getting involved more and not feeling like you're kind of out on a limb um which is pleasing you know it's nice it's a nice thing to have that kind of level of support yeah definitely um so what does equus actually do (laughs) well so (laughs) we uh so yeah about two years ago derek our ceo set equus up to um create this b2b app so it's a the highest level of encryption um, uh, messaging app. So, do you remember back in the day when you were working in an office and there used to be Instant Messenger or MSN Messenger? But there was a company one that was like completely contained within your own company, and you could. Did we have that? Oh no, no, we did. I can't remember. What it, no, we you. did. We did. <laughs> I can't remember what it was called. And then, I think everyone didn't f- fancy using it. Oh no. <laughs> well, no, they did. It was within like the CRM system. So. Yeah. When I worked um, as an account exec doing um, kind of website rebuilds, instead of marching up to the floor above to speak to the web developer about, mm. you know, what actually needs changing on the site, they had this little thing that would pop up and it would be like, so-and-so wants to talk to you. And then, you, you know, yeah, exactly. that type of thing. Yeah, it's that vibe. So um, one uh, uh, Derek's been very, had a very successful career in telcos and uh, privacy and security and encryption and all of that side of, of technology is incredibly important to him and something that he, he's like the champion of, of, of privacy and, and data security. So he developed this business-to-business app in the same vein as that, but for um, companies like governments and uh, doctors, and like the me- medical profession and lawyers and uh, places like that, where we have developed the highest level encrypted messaging app so that it's absolutely unbreakable. So no one can, um, if you're sending a, a confidential medical file from doctor to doctor right. within the hospital, no one can break into that because obviously there's huge amounts of um, 
sensitivity around those sorts of files, the same with legal. So he created this business-to-business um, app, uh, which is called the Equus Enterprise app <laughs> currently, <laughs> or Enterprise Platform, actually. Um, and then from, from those conversations, um, or sorry, from developing that, that B2B app, um, Derek started having conversations with telcos in various emerging markets, and telcos in all over the world are losing revenue to OTT players, so over the top, so like the WhatsApps and you know all all of those kinds of um, apps that are basically taking their audience away from them, and they're facilitating that, but they're not getting paid for it in any way. There's no kickback, so the data is being used right. and shared. So he had conversations with um, mobile operators in different markets. Um, to kind of partner up to say, well, we, we've got this really highly secure app um, in this B2B format. We want to make it B2C proposition. And if you agree to take it and distribute it and have it exclusively through your um, company, we'll share the revenue with you. So then right. we, Flame was born, um, which started off as just a straight up... There's loads of sirens because we're in central London, <laughs> so sorry about that. Yeah. Ignore. That's what happens when you're in Oxford Street. <laughs> um, yeah, so that messaging um, app kind of has now morphed into, a, we're calling it a social messaging um, platform. So Flame will be uh, a sort of peer-to-peer, peer-to-peer messaging service and then it will have a social networking element to it as oh. well. And the, the snapshot of it is the more that users uh, engage with it and share or send messages or share files or share photos and videos and create their own channels, the more they engage, the more they get rewarded. So we are actually financially um, rewarding people for, for staying on the app. So we will serve ads into it. There'll be an ad sh- uh, there'll be a revenue share between advertisers and the carriers and us. Ah. Um, so, um, yeah. Do you know what's of- really fascinating about that is I WhatsApp all of my clients because pff, it's easier. And sending an email, I just don't want my email, my inbox being clogged up by asking yeah. a simple one-liner question. Um, so I encourage people to just WhatsApp me. Also, I'm terrible at reading my emails, and if people want me urgently, I'm just like, well, just text me yeah. because then I'll pick it up. Exactly. And we're and currently you you do all of that on WhatsApp, and I it do. works perfectly fine. <laughs> and you know, it does what it it says on the tin. But your every time you use that, your data footprint gets bigger and bigger and ever you know facebook know what you're doing and where you're going i thought, and that, I thought whatsapp was encrypted it is encrypted but that data still exists somewhere oh so they sell it do they um i wouldn't like to say <gasps> sell. oh my gosh is this why when i ever talk, whenever i talk right me, no no you're me, not gonna, no no me and my, my boyfriend listening to no me. no me and my boyfriend are convinced of it every time we talk about something i, I maybe we want to go here pops up my phone on an ad and i'm like that is not normal <laughs> well yeah i'm not sure i want to comment on that to be honest but um anyway let's just say <laughs> that data is available um this if you switch to flame and you m- message your friends with with flame and you post things to the social channels and you watch an ad and do whatever we still know what you're doing we don't store the data um but it is available but we don't store your daily day interactions um, but we know that uh, you're Lucy and we know that this is your phone number and you live in this place and if you agree to letting us have access to that because you have to agree to it we'll pay you for it so um, yeah basically that's that's how it's well, going to work that sounds like a great incentive yeah so we're in beta phase at the moment so it's we're just quite we're just quietly slipped onto the app store um, and um, we're, we've had a little on the ground launch in Jordan because 
that was the um, first deal that Derek did with um, a carrier was in Jordan with a company called Zane. Oh, um, awesome. So they're distributing it and there's some, some special incentives through that that carrier. So yeah, we're just sort of creeping into the market then, but stay tuned because the next couple of months we are going to be taking on the world. <laughs> no, we are, we're just going to get bigger. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing that then. Thanks, yeah. Um, so the last question, which I ask to everyone, because I don't like these to go over an hour, because I don't think people like to listen to my voice. <laughs> they probably would just love a podcast of like another woman talking for an hour. Um, if you could give someone a piece of advice that they are at the beginning of their career, what would it be? One of the most important things that I learned, so no one really, no one said to me, but I, it was instilled in me from my parents, who have a very strong work ethic and instilled in me from did I say I worked at ITV did I mention I worked at ITV I don't think you did no (laughs) well at this company called ITV that I work for um uh was I I don't even know if I can succinctly sum it up but it was about having in fact actually my current boss Derek says coins a phrase called the art of the possible which I like to think Go, is a blanket term that goes across lots of ways so there's the art of the possible which is anything is possible basically if you work hard at it but also from my own personal perspective that statement can mean adopt a can-do attitude always go beyond where what you need to do be helpful be uh, positive um i've noticed in my late career more recently when i've hired people um and I'm not I'm not trying to generalise, but they, it tends to be younger people. There is less of a can do. I'm gonna I'm gonna smash this. I'm gonna find a way to make this work, and I'm going to chuck everything I've got at it to make it happen. And if I hadn't have done had that uh, uh, approach when I was at ITV, for example, I would <laughs> I would have been overlooked. Um, I just simply wouldn't have got where I was if I hadn't have taken a lot on and and done it with you know, gusto and, and just been like, yes, I will do, I'm a yes person and I will do everything. That's the thing. That's my like number one rule in life is to say yes to everything. I mean, kind of regretting at the moment. I never say no, basically. Sometimes I need to apply that to tequila. (laughs) (laughs) Literally. Um, By the no rule. No, no. Like at work, if someone says, can you do it? Even if I'm like, I have no idea how to do that. But yeah, I, you know, I won't say that. Just yeah. I'm going to find a way to do it. And it's less about completely rinsing yourself so that you're completely burning out yeah. and you can't physically do it. It's it's a mindset. Um, you know, I I've, I've had people. <laughs> I've asked pe- people, junior people, in my recent years working, to do things. Um, in a you know, oh, I'd really like you to take on this project, and um, could you find out about X, Y, and Z? Why? as a response or well I'm, I'm not sure I can do that until Friday because I've got these other things and I can't do that thing after work that you asked me to do or you think that will be good for me because I'm going to the post my friend Bob's birthday and I've got it's like huh? you know that that sort of mindset limits you and if you flip that on its head and you open yourself up to things that is how you'll get on in your career um, and that certainly helped me anyway um, because I was a very young manager in a very senior position and I did everything I possibly could to get to that point. I would do the shit jobs. I would take on the jobs that were slightly out of my comfort zone and put myself in sort of the firing line a bit and, you know, scare myself a bit. Um, yeah, so I would say that. 
that would be my piece of advice. I love that. Get out of your comfort zone. Yeah. Make yourself feel uncomfortable. Shit your pants a bit. Yeah. Do you know what? I, I'm a conflict avoider. But when I have to deal with conflict, every single time it's always a new experience. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get through this. I'm scared, but yeah. I'm going to get through it and it'll be fine. And actually, the things that scare you often don't turn out the way that you build them up to, be, to in Absolutely. your head. And um, they turn out in a different way. So that's really interesting. And that's... Um... There's another thing that I would recommend everyone does, and it's not just about career, it's just about life as a human. Um, I recently started getting really interested in psychology and investigating personalities and things like that, and I found this incredible test called the Enneagram test. And um, it's ostensibly a a personality test based on nine nine characters. And you answer all of these questions, a bit like a Myers-Briggs type thing, and it it gives you a, a... a selection of different types of personalities that you could be and then you research it and I mean I really got stuck into it anyway I am a type 8 I'm a conflict avoider I feel like I'm a conflict avoider but actually I'm not a conflict avoider I, I'd rather just get it over and done with even if it's really horrible I don't want to have the row but I would rather get it get it over and done with so I push myself oh, into it's amazing I push myself into these sort of uncomfortable situations which helps me to grow but learning about your own personality and what motivates you and what doesn't motivate you has been invaluable to me in the last couple of years because it's helped me if I hadn't have done all of that I wouldn't have got into tech because this is really out of my was really out of my comfort zone it's not so much now it's just challenges me in different ways um and it helps you to kind of get that that balance in your work and your life about what motivates you what doesn't and what's going to drive you so I think that understanding yourself is another bit of advice I would I would give to people and try the Enneagram test because that will help you oh, to work I'm so going to do that today <laughs> sounds awesome <laughs> lovely well thank you so much for thank joining you. me today and oh where can we find go on stuff. to the app store immediately either google play or the apple app store um and download flame f-l-a-i-n and start using it right I'm gonna do that please do that immediately and only ever communicate with me on that from now on <laughs> I will do. And any social medias? Um, all of the Instagrams, all of the Twitters and the Facebooks. Yeah. Um, all yeah, of the Flame app, at Flame app, everywhere. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks very much. This week's Thought of the Week is a quote by Maya Angelou. She said, Do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. I am a big believer in learning from mistakes and admitting when you're wrong. If you've made a mistake or you think you've made a mistake, this is an opportunity to improve. After all, if we haven't made a mistake before, how are we to know that it's not the right way to do things? Once you've made a mistake, you'll never do it again. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you go and leave a review, subscribe, share with your friends, or even better, I would love you to share on your stories and tag me at Sassy Digital. Wishing you a very productive week and remember to keep winging it.